is going on? What is going on? The Bills are five and two in a sloppy, and I say sloppy again. Win against the Jets, but hey, a win's a win. So you know what that means. Just because they won slop in New York and they kind of office kind of look like a little bit like crap, doesn't mean that Fred don't put on the bucket hat. So Fred, <laughs> go on and put the bucket hat on. A win's a win. Yeah, I mean, I'll take it. I mean, I mean, I, I know that Bill's Mafia and everyone's been waiting for this. I mean, when we were going to know the win, but I mean, it was an ugly win, but like JT says, a win is a win. Hey, we went to Pro Bass Shop today, right? <laughs> they could they could sponsor if they like. Uh Clayton, what'd you think of the game? Uh well, it, it was like you said, it was an ugly win, but I liked how the defense got it together there in the second half after um a lackluster performance in the first half. The offense left a lot to be desired today, but there's plenty to talk about, and I'm sure we'll get into it. Yeah. By the way, people, if you want to comment and you want to get your comment on the screen, there's two different posts on our Cofront Report page. There's one, um, go to the first one. Uh, that's on the page, and uh, you can get your comments on the screen that way. But before we get started, I actually want to uh, give a shout-out to our friends over there at Discover 716 Buffalo. And what they do is they have a uh, – Damien Spala created that 716 nonprofit media company to provide marketing services to small business for nonprofits, and they use – with the help of young kids uh, from the area and colleges interns. So he does a great job. I had a chance to sit down with Damien when I went to Buffalo last week, and uh, – Great guy. We're going to be doing a lot of work with these guys moving forward. So let's dig into this game here. We came out and we threw the ball 40 times again. Uh, don't really understand why we threw the ball 40 times, but we threw the ball 40 times against the Jets team. That's really, really dysfunctional. And we almost lost. We got no touchdowns out of it. Uh, Clayton, what was your first thoughts about, uh, we're going we're gonna to start with the offense and what are your thoughts about Brian Dable's game plan? Uh, it was, it was not a good game plan. I didn't like it at all. You know, really the stigma that we have been consistent with on this podcast specifically is that the lack of halftime adjustments has really plagued the bills offense and their, their lack to their, their inability to exist in the third quarter. And I think everybody has seen it throughout the duration of this season. You really saw it in those first four games and it has continued on in these last three you know whether this offense is firing on all cylinders or not the bills have failed to exist in the third quarter and now rather than just halftime adjustments we're starting to see this bills offense not really be with it on a game-to-game -game basis I, like i said they were lights out in their, those first four games that's indisputable they were a really good offense in those those first four games and then these last three after our teams have four four weeks four games of film on you and your tendencies and what you like to do in certain situations Brian Dable has just dropped the ball in terms of adjustments and changing what the overall plan is with the offense i understand this is an air raid offense and they want to just stretch the ball stretch the field out but yeah, when you look at how the, 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 the play calls diced up at the end of the game, it might be close to 50-50 or 65-35 or 60-40. The point being, there has been no rhythm with what they're doing. They're not mixing the run and pass. You'll see pass 15 plays in a row, and you'll watch them run it twice in a row, and you'll see Devin Singletary tackled for a three-yard loss. There's no kind of setting up the next play, setting up play action. They're not. It doesn't really look like they're trying to establish a solid rhythm, a solid – synergy on the offensive side of the ball it looks like it's either josh allen's dropping back to throw five, 10 times in a row or they're just going to turn around and hand it off or mix in some quarterback runs the lack of rhythm the lack of 
just setting up your offense to succeed for future plays, it's frustrating. And we're, we're and we've seen it every single game this season. All right, Fred. Thoughts on I mean, Ryan Dable? I mean, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record when I keep continuously keep saying it over and over again. We need to run the ball. We ran the ball 15 times with our running backs. I don't know if you guys realize it, but Josh Allen has three rushing touchdowns. The rest of the Bills, one rushing touchdown. We're halfway through the season, and our running backs, we between them, they have one rushing touchdown. We need to get this running game going. And like Clayton was just saying, yeah, there's no rhythm on this. I mean, they are so predictable. When they came back with that that jet sweep again with McKenzie, I was like, what are you doing? They just stopped it. They're reading and Now you're going to come back to the other side? I, I don't know what Dable's thinking is. But, you know, you're playing a division game. They already got film on you. You should have switched it up. You should have came out with some exotic plays on offense, but they didn't. They came out vanilla. They came out flat. And, I mean, I don't know when the last time it was that the Bills could not score a touchdown in the game. But thank God we have a rookie uh, kicker that actually made some kicks today. Yeah, you know, I I thought we're going to get into Tyler Bass a little bit later in this, this show here. And uh, I, I really want to focus on Tyler Bass a little bit tonight because I think people are being a little bit too hard on the kid. And I, mm-hmm. I, I got some numbers here, you know, to 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 back my claims up. But, no, I I thought that the offense moved the ball uh, into the red zone multiple times. I thought they were fine moving the ball. But for some reason, we just couldn't capitalize inside the red zone. Um, I don't know if it was the fact that we don't have a big target out there because it didn't seem like we had anybody out there for jump balls. I, I thought we would see Duke Williams out there more inside the 20-yard line if, or not, but we, we did, really didn't see that today. Um, also, like I said, we, we're not running the football. And I've been clamoring that I'm giving Brian Dayball a pass in the first couple weeks of the season because I thought he caught some really good football games those first couple weeks of the season. But once again... This is the time of the season we need to start running the football and getting this running game churning, getting those big guys up there in rhythm and moving people around. Uh, hopefully, coming up with the bye week, we're going to get Cody Ford back hopefully after. Maybe we'll get John Feliciano back. One of those guys that will be inserted because God knows Ike Bodiger was awful today. I'm just going to be <laughs> honest. Ike was awful. Ike was really awful. I mean, Ike was just as bad as Ike Turner out there today, and that was really bad. <laughs> so I, we really need we need anybody serviceable at left guard, okay? Um, but, I mean, we'll see what happens. Like I said, Zach Moss got going today. I was happy to see the young kid get going because I hadn't seen him get going all this year. Although one of those runs, I mean, I don't know what the Jets did. They left him just wide, the whole wide sure. open. You know, anybody could have ran through that hole. So uh, we'll see what happens. I, I mean, we'll, we'll see what Brian Dable cooks up after the bye week. I, I kind of want to build off of your point of their lack of execution in the red zone. And I wouldn't really even call it a lack of execution. I think because when you look at the Jets defense and who that defense is built up upon, they don't really have crazy playmakers. They don't have incredible personnel. That's why the Jets are, an, are a winless football team to this point. They don't have a good football team top to bottom. So to see that kind of that defense struggle with the Bills driving down the field, but kind of clamped down in the red zone, that forces you to look at what exactly was Greg Williams doing in the red zone? What exactly was the schematics that he was running to try and stop the Bills' offense? And if you go back and you watch this game, it wasn't really a matter of lack of execution in the red zone for the Bills. I understand they had three penalties and a turnover in the red zone, but aside from that, there really wasn't much lack of execution in the red zone for the Bills other than the fact that the Bills were just being out-schemed and out-coached in that area of the field. They had five red zone possessions today, none of which they, they capitalized with a touchdown. That's inexcusable, especially when you're going up against a defense of such. Personally, I'm of the belief that Greg Williams really 
had Brian Dable's number today once you got inside the red area? Well, what I noticed what Greg Williams was doing was he had extra DBs out on the field. So they were dropping back. They were rushing four, and they were just having more DBs out there, and they are just stepping in the lanes. The problem with the Bills' offense is that they're, they're predicting they're going to do. And what bothered me the, the, the most in this game is it was just before halftime. We're driving the ball. We had some sort of a rhythm going. It was third and one. And we call a timeout just before the two-minute warning. I would have continued. We still had 15 seconds before the two-minute warning. And I, I, and I said to myself, we're not going to pick this up. And sure enough, because they called the timeout, they never picked up that third and one, and we had to settle for a field goal just before the half. That's well, the that, things that – I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, to that third and one, what, what? I think anybody that's ever watched any film of the Bills ever with Josh Allen at the helm, third and one, they, they tend to run read option, zone read, RPO. Yeah. They tend to run those type of plays on third and one. You see it quite often. And they more times than not, I will give it to them. They are successful. But on third and one in that situation, that's the best play call you have cooked up. That's the best play call you have up your sleeve because they get a first down there. The game's over. The Jets don't get another possession. I understand it's irrelevant considering Jerry Hughes made an interception on the ensuing drive, but you look to end the game in that situation. You're playing, you're playing a higher caliber football team. I understand. I don't want to take it out of context and say, well, if you're playing the Patriots, you can't do You can't win this game like that. I, I'm not going to say that, but on a third and one situation like that, that's situational football. You get that first down, you try and put that game away because if you're playing a higher caliber team on any other given week, if you're playing a Russell Wilson, you're playing a Pat Mahomes, in most cases than not, you lose the football game if you do if you make that mistake. Yep, absolutely. Well, I mean, as far as, and, you know, you mentioned the Patriots, and I'm just going to touch on the Patriots really quickly. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm tired of hearing, you know, reading all the posts and, oh, if we play this versus the Seahawks or the Patriots, and we're going to lose. If we play this against the Patriots, we're going to lose. We're playing this against the Patriots, we're going to lose. Let me tell you something. I got news for you. I watched that Patriot game this last this last week and today. That Patriot team is a bad team. The defense is still kind of okay, but the more that offense struggles, the more that defense is not going to care. Because today, that Patriot team looked over on the bench, and there was no TB12 sitting there to pick them up. And I think team, these guys are going to start packing it in at some point. So you can miss me with the uh, the whole Patriot. We're not going to beat the Patriots if we play like that because not hearing it. That's a that's a football team on the this, on this schedule that I believe at this point in time we should beat twice. Simple as that. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they're playing some bad ball on that side too. So I'm not afraid of the Patriots. I mean, but at the same time, the Bills got to get their act together. I mean, they really got to settle things down. I noticed that the defense on the second half, they actually picked it up. It was impressive finally to see Jerry Hughes have that game that we've all been looking for for the last three years. So that 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 was big for him to have that game. And I think it set the tempo for that defense. But I still think that we've got a lackluster and, and we weren't playing. I mean, I mean, Micah Hyde and Poyer, again, the two guys out there that were being very physical in this game. I, you know, who did you guys think set the tone on the defensive side of the ball? Because I saw a couple of different people out there. Uh, Fred, I guess I'll come to you first because you started with the defense. Who do you think set the tone on the defensive side of the ball today? I think it was Poyer right off from the bat. I mean, when he was coming up, he was playing close to the line of scrimmage, and he was being physical. Uh, when he hit the, the tight end coming out, that, that, that would have been a first down. He came right up, and he just smacked him. I mean, I think that's what set the tempo. And then Micah Hyde carried on through that. And then out of nowhere, Jerry Hughes just started playing like a madman. Uh, if I if I had to give you an answer as to who set the tone on the defensive side of the ball, I, 
I really have to go with Dane Jackson because right there on that first drive, very first drive, the, Bills, the Jets drive right into the Bills' red zone and Darnold scrambled out of the pocket, looked for his receiver. I believe it was Denzel Mims. If not, it was Rashard Perryman. But he looked for his receiver at near the five-yard line, and Dane Jackson's right there to break it up. And really, you look at how this game went, the course of this game. The Bills' defense did not really have that kind of attitude, that swagger, the confidence that you need in a football game that before that Dane Jackson interception prior to halftime. After that play, and you know you can credit halftime adjustments to this as well, but after that play, the Bills' defense shut it down. The Bills only allowed four yards of offense in the second half. They had an absolute, mm -hmm. they had an incredible turnaround, but I believe it was largely fueled to the fact that they gained confidence after Dane Jackson sealed this first half off with an interception. I'm going to go with Jordan Poirier. I, I'm with Fred on this one. I mean, the more I watch this game, from the, even when the Bills' defense seemed like it was possibly somewhat struggling from the get-go. And that first drive, I said, oh, boy, here we go. You know, I didn't panic. I know a lot of people were hitting the panic, but in the same defense, uh, you know, you, you, you got to give the team time to get going, okay? But, I mean, I knew Frank Gore, 37-year-old Frank Gore, wasn't going to literally run all over us all day. Hell, we we seen it in Buffalo <laughs> last year. You're only going to get about a half a game from Frank. So, um, it didn't scare me, but I thought Poyer was setting the tone. I saw Poyer out there chirping a lot, talking, getting chippy. Um, I saw, I, I definitely thought that it was uh, Jordan Poyer. That set the tone, and uh, for me, for him, I think he was a leader out there today. So, yeah, yeah, you, I, I really liked the Bills' defensive line, their play in the second half because, well, I mean, you can't even necessarily say it was the defensive line. You, I liked the blitz packages they were drawing up for the defense there in the second half. I talked to Mike, Mike back after about this after the game, and I tended to agree with him that the fact that they were sending so many four-man rushes at Sam Darnold was the reason why Sam Darnold was just standing back there and driving down the field with that Jets offense. I mean, they were in the red zone twice in the first half. And one of the times they ended up scoring the field goal, the other time they went for it on fourth down and could not convert. And then the third drive, they ended up scoring a touchdown. But point being, after they started trying to manufacture pressure, that's when you started to see this Bills defense really kind of take a mold that you've seen of, of, of uh, the mold of this defense that was solid for the last two seasons. And I, I really liked what they were doing with their blitz packages and how they were designing it, how they were disguising it, because you could tell that this young offensive line that has two slow offensive tackles along the, along the exterior, they really didn't know what to do. They, their heads were spinning. Sam Darnold's head was spinning. And that, I think that was really what was missing in the first half. And I was, I was very pleased to see it in the second. Yeah. yeah. I mean, six sacks out of our defense. I mean, finally we're getting some pressure on the quarterback. I just hope they continue. Maybe this is that game that finally lets that fire on them and it, you know, pushes him for the rest of the games and the rest of the season. I thought Tremaine Edmonds played well of a game today. He was everywhere. And it's, it's not surprising to me. I, I know we've had the talks of if Tremaine should move to outside linebacker. And I've, I'm i on record saying, I'm not saying I think he should move. I'm just saying that somewhere down the line, if Matt Milano was not resigned to a new contract, then if you can get a more instinctful natural middle linebacker and you can slide him over to do so. Well, now I still think this guy can be an all-pro middle linebacker perennial all pro i don't know perennial all pro outside linebacker most definitely um i thought he played a well of a game today i thought that he was all over the field but and i think what you're seeing from him is you're seeing him get healthy you're seeing you're seeing the tremaine that we saw in the last year attacking and getting healthy now yes i know that we're gonna say matt milano's back on the field and he made a difference yeah I, yeah i mean i i mean I didn't see Matt Milano do much today. He was there. It's nice to have him. Don't get me wrong. But 
the defense doesn't tick or work around Matt Milano. It well, Matt, around- Matt, he, he was on a pitch count today. He, he was really only coming in on third downs. Yeah, he wasn't there much at all. He was being he wasn't in there a lot, so I, I I can't really credit to Ray Evans stepping up for the first time in a couple weeks after two poor performances against the Titans and Chiefs. I can't really credit that to the fact that Matt Milano was on, out there for only a small percentage of the snaps. I think the fact that you see Tremaine Edmonds finally executing, getting his reads, his instincts looking good, I believe it's him, like you said, Jeremy, it's him not only having faith in his health and his ability to make plays, but it also has to do with him possibly playing a little more discipline, allowing the defensive line to do their job. Because when you look back and you watch the film after these past couple of games, you see Tremaine Evans trying to make up for the, for the lack of uh, execution up front. And Mario Granada pointed that out to me. And I, after that, I watched the film, and I tend to 100%, 110% agree. But – you start. You started to see Tremaine Edmonds settle in today, read the defense, and make the plays. He he could have had two interceptions today, but I'm not going to knock a middle linebacker for not catching the ball. But he has to catch that, though. I mean, yeah. we can't not we can't two knock him. The one, the first one, I can I can say okay, I can let yeah. that one go. It's a ricochet. It was quick. That second one went through the bread basket. You have to catch that one, <laughs> yeah. especially in a game like it was because I believe at the time the game was ten to three. Mm-hmm. Yep. And and you're flipping the field. You're getting the ball in their red zone. I mean, in their side of field. You have to you have to make that play, plain and simple. But like you said about Milano playing uh, limited today, you did see though that uh, the injury is not affecting him uh, on that sack. He came and he chipped off a, a lineman, and that was a hard that was a hard hit that, right on that shoulder. And he went in and continued. He made the sack, so he's working his way back. And but like you were saying, I think you're starting to see that with Edmonds. I, I think that they weren't saying as much how this how hurt this this guy was, and now you can start seeing he's getting healthier. He's probably feeling a little better, and he. Uh, from you know carrying over from last year, so and he is reading, and with the front four coming in there and putting pressure, it's easy for him, you know, to shut off a block and read those gaps. So I mean, yeah, Edmonds had a great game today, except for those two drops that he had. Right, you know, another guy I want to talk about is a, as far as a good game, but then we'll start breaking down the Josh Allen's game a little bit here. Ed Oliver. Now this is a guy who I've seen all week under scrutiny and i don't know why because reality if you're scrutinizing ed oliver for his play then i'm like i said i don't want to call you uneducated because i don't like calling people names at least in public i don't um you're not watching the film Mm -mm. you're simply not watching the film ed oliver was a force today yep Ed oliver was a force last week ed oliver was the force before that week but the problem is you got Ed playing a lot of one technique. And actually last week we saw him line up at zero technique, which a guy his size should never, ever, 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 ever in the game of football line up at zero technique if it ain't semi-pro football. Okay? Should never line up at that position. Ed is making things happen. He's pushing the pocket. He's winning a lot of his battles. But as you've seen today, now you had Jerry coming across the side and getting the sacks. Now you had AJ getting the sacks. Ed is a lot like Marcel Darius. And what I mean by that is, number one, Marcel Darius, when he was on top of his game, was a, was a uh, I don't want to say just a game-changing player. Marcel Darius was actually a generational talent when he's on top of his game, okay? So I don't want to compare Ed to him in that capacity. But when he's playing at the top of his game, other people around him have to have to – Get the sacks. You have to make the plays. And Ed, once again, they push the pocket. And I think people should praise him for that. Yeah, after right right before this show, I was actually watching through the, the, the game again. 
And the first thing that jumped off the screen to me on the Bills defensive line, because that's really what I wanted to watch, was the Bills offensive line and the defensive line. Because coming into this game, those were the two areas of both sides of the ball that I felt like needed to, to prove themselves against the New York Jets, that needed the, that needed the most growth from last week to this week. And Ed Oliver, he's not the problem, guys. He's not. I've I, I seen the same thing you're seeing, Jeremy, with people saying that Justin Zimmer is a better defensive tackle than Ed Oliver. He's simply not. Dad Oliver is out there wreaking havoc every single play. He's out there winning his battles. He's 275 pounds, 280 pounds listed, and you're putting him at zero technique. Now, I remember sitting right here on this platform, this very platform, talking about Ed Oliver and having the lack of splash plays coming out of Houston. And that was largely due in part to the fact that he was playing a lot of one technique, zero technique, positions where he simply is not being utilized correctly. Ed Oliver is not built to play along the, the uh, from zero to one technique. He's built to play from three technique outside. And the fact that the Bills are missing Star Latule, they're missing their starting one technique defensive tackle, it's really kind of shaken up everything the Bills do on defense. It's shaken up the defense from front to back. It's why you're, I'm of the belief that that's why you're really seeing the certain player struggle that you see struggle on a weekly basis. And to be quite frank with all of you, Ed Oliver simply isn't one of them. Ed Oliver is doing his job, and if he is lined up in a position to succeed, more times than not, he succeeds. And the fact that People are really trying to put the shoulder of the blame on Ed Oliver. The fact the defense hasn't played as well as they have to start this season compared to last season, it's it's just asinine to me. No, you're absolutely – both of you guys are right because Ed is battling in the trenches. I mean, he's getting chipped by the center. He's getting chipped by the guard. I mean, he's fighting double teams throughout the whole game. But he keeps bringing that motor. We are missing that big body, Starla Tooley, next to him to help push that pile up the middle. But it ain't Ed Oliver. He's doing his job. No, you're right. I mean, today what I did like is some of the adjustments they made is I saw Ed line up on the same side with Addison. He wasn't always just on the left side of the, the defensive line today. They were moving him around, and I like that because I think that also threw the Jets off a little bit because I've never actually seen Ed rush from the right side of the line um, while being here in Buffalo. I don't know if you guys recall, but I've never seen him line up in that spot. Maybe he has, but nothing to my knowledge I can recall to be like, hey, he was doing that. But they lined up with Dick Code Day a couple of times with Mario Addison on the right side. Then they switched Jerry over Jerry over to the left side. It was yep. a lot of combination, different combination they used. And I know me and Clayton were having a conversation the other day about about how Jim Schwartz used to run the wide nine formation. And today, how Jerry Hughes used to stand up and how Mark Addison was actually a 3-4 rusher in Carolina at some point. And Carolina switched to a 3-4. And we wonder if they would stand up. And today, we saw Epinesa standing up. We saw Mario Addison standing up. We saw Jerry Hughes standing up. Now, personally, do I think that's a fix for the D-line? Not necessarily. I don't really like that standing up technique against, against the run. I would prefer to see us go back to more of a wide nine to get Ed more into that three-technique role. And I think you could wreak a lot of havoc. Well, mentioning the wide nine, when you look at the how this defense was lining up against the Jets and their offensive packages today, you saw a lot of wide looks. And, I mean, you and I spotted it immediately. They were standing up Trent Murphy, who also has 3-4 defense experience. He was a 10-sack player playing in a 3-4 defense in Washington. And then Jerry Hughes, like you mentioned, Mario Addison. A.J. Epinesa, I never really saw him stand up much, but the fact that he can do that and be an explosive player like that it's encouraging. And when you're playing a team with big tackles, with slow, heavy feet like George Fant, Makai Becton, oh, that's a mismatch. Because when you stand players up like Trent Murphy, like A.J. Epinesa, like Jerry Hughes, like Mario Addison, that gives them a one-step a one step advantage on those offensive tackles. And it definitely proved uh, successful today. 
Right. Yeah, because you could see that our ends were actually containing the edge. They were getting through, and they were putting pressure on Dar uh, Darnold that he had to step up in the pocket. But that's what they got to do. I mean, they got to change it up. We can't just keep coming out being vanilla. But like you said, I've been watching Hughes on the left side a lot. This is the first time I've seen him on the left standing up, and he's getting that step. And Trent Murphy looked fast standing up coming off that edge. So maybe that's something that they're throwing in there. Or that's something they've seen with the Jets uh, on their offensive line because their offensive line is suspect. I don't know if this is something that they saw with the Jets or this is something they knew. I mean, personally, I think it's a wrinkle that they're trying to throw in because at some point when you've get, when you've been getting beat up like you have the last couple of weeks as they have, you have to try something. Um, I'm still, I still believe that before the end of this trade deadline that we still need a – one tech zero zero one tech zero tech if you want to call that big defensive tackle in there and i still do believe i don't care if trent murphy got a sack that i still think that we need to cut trent murphy and at very least roll that money over at, at this point i feel like it's a waste of time if ab if aj epinesa is is good enough to play and he's picking up this playbook and things as such then he needs to be getting the reps at this point i'm sorry i i feel like the rollover cap for trent murphy is more worth it at this point than i don't care what system you put him in. i think he needs to be cut no, 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 no need to apologize. Trent Murphy has been absolutely garbage <laughs> against any offensive line that's yeah. worth any note because you mentioned it. He got a sack today. It, it, mm -hmm. It's almost a given that Trent Murphy is going to show up against bad offensive lines. He'll show up for one sack every time you play the Vikings, every time you play the Texans, every time you play the Jets, all these teams that perennially have very bad offensive tackle play. Trent Murphy shows up against average against average talent. That's just a matter of fact because that's what he is. He is a mediocre player in the NFL at this stage. He's not worth the price tag that he is listed at, and the Bills are, are in – they need a one-technique defensive tackle to fix the woes that you continue to see on, on the defensive side of the ball. And like, like, like I said, I feel like if you get a one-technique defensive tackle, such as a Davlin Tomlinson, such as a Sheldon Rankins, you fix all of the problems on this defense from front to back. I think you got to give AJ Epinesa some more playing time. I really do like this kid's motor. I mean, he's quick. He's really quick. I mean, and I, like you said, if Murphy's not cutting it, why are we spending this money to keep this guy on here? And we got two young guys and Daryl Johnson again, you know, he's not getting the playing time. But these are young kids who are physical and they're quick. They're a lot physical and a lot quicker than Trent Murphy. Why do we keep this guy on the roster? It's beyond me. I don't get it. Right. And I, I personally, I'm not, I don't think I see anybody. Trading for that contract because, like I said, we don't know what the salary cap is going to be. And this is one of the reasons that I'm so for cutting Trent Murphy at this point in time. A, I don't think anybody's going to take that contract on, not, not understanding if the salary cap is going to drop to 179, drop to 180, one drop to 185, 190, or is it even going to increase? So, with that being said, I think you just wave them. You, you roll over the extra because at this time it's probably going to be prorated. You roll over the 4 or $5 million. You save it because reality is if anything shall happen and go wrong and this salary cap drops to the minimum 179 that they set for next year, the bills go into next offseason with $2 million free. Now, mind you, there are some moves that they can make to free up more space as I've, I'm going to be writing an article on it, talking about it. But like as to such of maybe getting rid of Jerry Hughes next year, that'll free up seven. Then maybe getting restructuring Mitch Morse to free up another five or six. There's other things they can do to free up the space. So it's not a it's not a worry for me. But I just think at this point, for the production you're getting from Trent Murphy, you're better off in reality just cutting your losses and giving the reps to 
uh, AJ Epinesa and possibly moving Quentin Jefferson at the defensive end on Murphy's spot because to be honest with you, I don't like the combination on in first and second down with Quentin Jefferson at defensive tackle. Um, I think we're way too small up front. We're way too small up front with that combination. Don't get me wrong, Jefferson gives maximum effort, but we're way too small with that combo. Well, you're talking about the combination specifically of Ed Oliver and to Quentin Jefferson. That's right. On first and second down, yes. Yes. And those are rundowns. Those are infamously rundowns. And those are the plays where you see this Bills defensive line just getting gashed for seven, eight yards per carry. And it's just it, it's atrocious. You can't have it. That's not winning football. That's not a winning recipe. That's not what Quentin Jefferson or Ed Oliver were brought here to Buffalo to do. They were brought to play three technique defensive tackle. They were brought Quentin Jefferson was brought here to be to play anywhere from three technique to five technique. He was not supposed to be playing inside. He was not supposed to be playing in the one technique spot. That's not where he is best utilized. Similar to that, that that's not where Ed Oliver is best utilized. And it all goes back to the fact that they have a hole at their one technique defensive tackle. And, you know, I, I simply, I'm of the belief that I really don't care what they have to pay for either of those defensive tackles. You're not paying premium. You're not going to give up a whole lot of picks and a whole lot of draft capital, but if you want, if you're serious about this defense getting it together, I don't think you have the dogs to do it with the, with what you have right now. Vernon Vernon Butler, he's been okay thus far, but he's proved to not be the player that you gave eight million dollars to for his production in his fourth year of his contract. He's proving to be more so of the player that you saw the first three years in Carolina that a lot of people pegged as a bust. So, what are you left to do with your one technique answer? Because it's not Justin Zimmer, it's not Quentin Jefferson, and it's not Vernon Butler. And it certainly isn't. It's not Harrison Phillips. He's gotten benched twice in a row. I don't know if that's a potential trade piece for the Bills or what. But I will say this. You just have to make a move prior to the November 3rd deadline. That's what you have to do in order to get this defense, these defensive problems fixed. Well, we have a question here, and I think it's a good question that we probably should uh, um, ask here, answer. Uh, Cody Wells asks, so Cole Front, if you had to pick your starting D-line lineup, who would you pick? Uh, you know, there's another comment. I'm pretty sure this is Mario commenting. Uh, I'm going with Mario's D-line. This is my ideology of a D-line. Mm-hmm. Jerry Hughes, Vernon Butler, Quentin Jefferson, and Oliver. And that's mm-hmm. kicking Jefferson out to the left-end spot, which I think, A, not only helps it against the run, but B, I think Quentin Jefferson is going to push the pocket. He's a pure, He's going to be a pure power rusher. There's not going to be any finesse there. But that's what you need to collapse the pocket. If you have people like a guy like that collapsing the pocket, you're going to either collapse into Jerry Hughes' lap or you're going to allow Ed Oliver to get free and get and grab him. Well, the fact that this defensive line that you're giving up right here, you mentioned Quentin Jefferson going in the end spot. You talk about Hughes, you talk about Butler, you talk about Oliver. Pick your double team. Who are you Who are you doubling? Yeah, exactly. Who are you going to double? You're not going to block Vernon Butler <laughs> nope. with one guy, similar to that that you nope. won't block Starl Tule with one guy. You're not blocking Ned Oliver with one guy, and you're not blocking just, uh, Quentin Jefferson with one guy either. And he's plenty quick enough to come off of the edge in the matter that you're speaking of. So when you think about Quentin Jefferson and Jerry Hughes complimenting each other on, on one end, Jerry Hughes is far more of a finesse rusher. He's a smaller rusher. So you want to have that size on the other end of Jerry Hughes on first down to try and to try and be prepared to stop the run. I, I 110% agree. That, that's the defensive line that I would run with. And that's right now is our problem. We don't have that big guy to push the pile on the first and second downs to stop those runs and fill the gaps. That's our biggest problem right now. All right. We have another question. Uh, would you trade for – Carlos Dunlap or Geno Atkins? I don't. I don't think we. Firstly, I don't financially. I don't think we could afford either one. Uh, we only got about four, about four to five million in space. And like I said, you would have to get rid of Murphy 
Um, and I know Mario said something about I think his contract is guaranteed because he's a vested, a vested veteran. So I don't know if we can actually even free up any space by doing so. So at this point, either one of those players know because Geno Atkins, you're just getting the older Ed Oliver. It's not helping. It's not helping the interior of the line. And as far as uh, Carlos Dunlap, I would love to have Carlos Dunlap. One interesting point about Dunlap here is that he actually works out with Deion Dawkins down in Florida in the offseason. So the move would make sense. Um, maybe one of those guys are cut. Maybe they can't find a deal for him. I know Carlos Dunlap is doing everything in his power to get to Cincinnati. He's tweeting stuff. He put his apartment or condo up for sale on Twitter. He's doing everything in his power to get the Bengals just to get rid of him. So maybe he gets cut. If he gets cut, then yeah, I'm all for it. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think the likelihood of him, them being able to move him is very high. I think they're going to end up having to cut him because th- that's just not a trade that teams are going to make. They know that the Bengals no. have little to no leverage in that trade scenario. That why, why are teams giving up even a conditional seventh in two years from now to get Carlos Dunlap when they know that he's potentially going to be a free agent and choose wherever he wants to go in a matter of days? I, I think that the way the Carlos Dunlap situation is going, that he's going to be a free agent. And I, I agree with you. They don't have enough money because it, you, you really have enough room to make one move. That's really the situation you're in right now. You have enough room to make one move and really roll over a couple thousand dollars in the next season. And that's it. So you're not training for Carlos Dunlap because even with, with, with his guarantees, null and void, considering teams have to pay players' guarantees up front if they are traded, that it, he would cost about $6 million. And personally, if you're talking about priorities, I'm prioritizing getting that one technique defensive tackle over getting Carlos Dunlap, who I tend to believe would be an excellent fit opposite Jerry Hughes in this defense. Right. <clears throat> yeah. And personally, like I said, I'm with Mario on this one for hashtag where he's saying he doesn't think De- De- Dalvin Tomlinson is going anywhere. I don't either. I actually sat back and watched that entire Giants game of night just to watch Tomlinson play. And there's no way they're getting rid of this kid, especially no. with Leonard, especially with Leonard Williams not being uh, the guy they thought they, they traded for him. So I think your best bet is, a, is, is possibly a Sheldon Rankins. And, yes, again, name that people are not going to be happy to hear. I would sign Mar, Mar I would sign Marcel Darius for the veteran for the veteran minimum. I would absolutely. There's nothing wrong with bringing the big guy back in there. I mean, that's if he would be willing to come to Buffalo. But I have no problem signing him. At least that guy takes up two, three blockers at a time. Bring him in. Let him push the pile. I mean, I, I mean, I at this point you got to try something with the interior. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not worried about the edges because I know if the if I know if the interior is fine, your edges will work. But the way this interior is, it's, it's not good. Now, Vernon Butler is going to come out every game and play mad like he did today and angry. I mean, he pretty much uh, put um, put uh, uh, Frank Gore into a headlock. Where at some point, I mean, Frank got really upset. I don't know why he got – or Frank, Frank Gore, sorry. Frank got really upset. But, hey, oh, well. I mean, if you're going to get Vernon Butler mad, then, yeah, if, if we're going to – if he's going to play angry, cool. I'm cool with it. Last year, I saw him punch the guy in the coach, Jack Doyle, in the face. If you're going to get that Vernon Butler that's going to punch people in the face, then yeah, cool. We're just doing the fourth quarter we're up. Yeah, I, you, you really need a presence along the interior. Somebody that teams just simply cannot block with one guy. Somebody that's going to be a guy that requires double teams in order for the matchup to be successful for the offensive line. I don't think at, uh, Mar- Marcel Darius is the player be- people consensusly believe him to be in Buffalo. He's, he's anything but the player people try and stigmatize him as and try and just place a, place a label on him. He's not that guy. He's not. The, I, I don't believe he's that person. I don't believe he's that worker. I don't believe that he's simply that player. And I do believe that he deserves an opportunity in this league, if not with Buffalo, somewhere else. But with how the Bills' needs are shaping up right now, 
oh, yeah, I'd be all on board to bring the captain back with a veteran minimum, 110%. Yeah, I mean, just right now this defense has to do something because we're getting gashed every week with the running game. And if you're not having someone push that pile so the linebackers can fill those gaps, we're going to get gashed all year. Buffalo's got to do something. They, I mean, I, I see all these teams around us, good teams making moves, making trades, adding pieces to their team. Buffalo's got to start doing something. I, I know that, you know, we're, we're, we always talk about how Bean and McDermott, they want to get everybody through the draft. But when you got a season like this where you're contending for the AFC East, uh, you got to start putting more pieces in it. You got to take these chances and pick up some of these guys that are available, that are looking for work, that are going to come in and help make your team better. Well, I, I don't think it's a I don't think it's a problem with taking chances. It's, it, the problem is you have about four million dollars in cat space, and you don't know what the cat space is going to be when you go into next season. You don't right. know what the salary cap is going to be. It has to be extremely calculated. I think in a regular season, and yeah, they will probably move on for a couple of people and bring somebody in. But then, what are you going to give up for rental, possibly? Because if you bring one of these guys in that's on a one year deal. And the salary cap drops to one, let's say one eighty four, you're screwed. Yep. Yeah. And we and Bean doesn't give draft capital. No, I <laughs> see. I really believe that I, I, I'm not even opposed to getting a one year rental. If you if you got a Sheldon Rankins, knowing that okay, you're probably not going to be able to sign him back. And Starla Tule is not going anywhere after next season. He has a nine million dollar dead cap, so he's going to be on the roster for 2021 and potentially through 2022. So Starla Tule is essentially a roster lock for the Buffalo Bills going forward. So if you were to get a Sheldon Rankins as a rental player, just I I see a lot of upside with it. For not only the player, but also for the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, you fix your defensive line rotation and you fix the problems. You have the de- you have the versatility of the defensive line you planned on having going into the season when before Starlet Ule had opted out. So if you get Sheldon Rankins and this defense gets things under control, it's gonna be, oh, well, did you see how that Bills defense changed once they got Sheldon Rankins? And if he becomes a playmaker and he can be a player that wreaks havoc on the interior of that defensive line. He's going to make a lot of money this offseason after the Bills potentially make a Super Bowl push because make no mistake about it, I think this is a Super Bowl caliber football team, even though they just kicked field goals today against New York Jets. If you get that (laughs) defensive line figured out, if you get that one technique defensive tackle position figured out, I think this defense finally finds the mold that they had last year, that they had the year before, or at least they find some some, some sort of play that's fairly similar to that. Well, I mean, the whole point is you 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 well, you gotta win football games, okay? Yep. It doesn't matter how you do it in this league, whether it's good, bad, you're blowing teams out where it's ugly. The whole point is to get the W on the board. All right. Now obviously we would have loved to come out and see this team just beat the Jets down mercifully, you know, in a merciful way, but it didn't happen. Oh well, they pulled they got the W they're supposed to get, okay? They're five and two. That that's that's what we're looking at. They're five and two. Now you got a bye week coming up. You're gonna get some guys back. You're gonna get some guys healthy. You're gonna get be able to sit John Brown and get him back probably probably 100. percent You may get Josh Norman back 100. percent I don't know where Levi Wallace is in his recovery, but he should be almost back. John Feliciano may be back. Cody Ford may be back. So you're gonna get rest, and you also give your coordinators the time to sit back and scheme up again. And honestly, you're going into a bye week on a positive note. The defense looked good today. I don't care about the offense. I'm not worried about the offense. Because in my opinion, any offense that has a healthy Stephon Diggs, a healthy Cole Beasley, a healthy um, John Brown, 
Um, and, and I'm going to say a healthy Dawson Knox as well. Even though Tyler Croft played well today, I still yep. like the mismatches that Dawson Knox creates. Even if he drops some balls, but he still creates the mismatches. Um, I just feel like the offense is going to score points no matter what. And you know it's what? The touch on the touch on what you're saying about this game being ugly. You got to remember, it's a division game. Division games are always ugly. And the fact is, the Bills haven't swept the New York Jets since 2015. So I expected, you know, division games to be ugly. I expect uh, when we play Miami Dolphins again that it's going to be ugly, just because they're division games. These teams know each other. They play each other twice a year. But for Bills to come out and and put it all together in the second half and pull out the win, that, that's a sign of a team moving in the right direction. Right. And I don't know. I I can't really say I'm not worried because this is just a divisional game. I, I really can't. Because you look at that offense and you look at the schematics, yes, this off, this offense hummed up and down the field and had their way in terms of yardage. And they had the production they would have today, and they simply just didn't execute in the red zone and didn't put touchdowns on the board. And I understand if you get it in the end zone one or two different times, it's a completely different the, – yeah. the complexion of the game is different. You see a different score. It's a much wider margin of victory. But the matter of fact is that it's not. The offense didn't execute in the red zone. They, I, I believe they got out-schemed. I believe they got out-coached in that area of the field. And it's concerning to me. Because what any smart defensive coordinator is going to do, they're going to look at what Greg Williams did against the Bills in the red area. And they're going to take that and apply it to their defense in some, some facet. They're going to try and implement that onto their defense to try and stop the Bills in the red zone. Because make no mistake about it, up until today, the Bills are a very effective team when they get in the red zone. Josh Allen's a very effective player when he gets in the red zone. So I, I really want to see this team execute. I want to see them be able to do it next week against the Patriots. If this is just a one-time thing, because don't get me wrong, this is something that hasn't has been a non-issue prior to this week, which makes me think that it potentially could be a fluke performance by the Jets or it could be a fluke, a fluke mishap by the Bills. But I want to see it not happen again. I want to see the Bills be able to reclaim their ability to execute in the red zone, reclaim their ability to scheme guys open and scheme in touchdowns so that you don't see them constantly going for field goals such as today. Well, but this is this is my rebuttal to that. You're assuming that every team is going to do what Greg Williams can do, and you're assuming that the Bills won't be able to adjust, not even as a coach staff, but as players. I'm going to give the Bills more credit. I'm going to give Josh Allen more credit. That I'm going to give Stephon Diggs more credit. That I'm going to give a team with a healthy John Brown and a healthy Dawson Knox more credit than that to be able to adjust and put points up in the red zone. So let's just put it this way. Tyler Bass missed two chippies today, right? Yeah. That's 24 points. We got one touchdown call back. So let's pull one field goal off the board. We, we still left points on the board. And we honestly could have scored 30. With the other, four, other couple weeks, we could have scored 40. But we're scoring points and we're driving the ball up and down the field with ease getting into the red zone. It's not like drives are stalling out. It's not like we're going three and out like we used to. We're driving up and down the field. So defense gets better. Offense, you're not, there's not going to be very many games where the Bills are going to get to the red zone. They're going to kick six field goals. <laughs> One touchdown today, and we're talking what, 22 points? Yeah. <clears throat> That's a win. That's a win. That's a winnable game. So I, I just, I'm not going to, this game does not worry me. The way this offense looked today doesn't worry me one bit. The defense will scare me. Yeah, the only thing that worries me on, on the offensive side of the ball 
And uh, we had talked about this when we were talking about uh, Antonio Brown coming to Buffalo and having that uh, personality on there and how it would affect Josh Allen. I, I almost think that Josh Allen is trying to force a lot of these passes to Diggs. And I, I mean, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I'm, I'm seeing that he's forcing these balls to Diggs, and he almost had two picks today where he was forcing those balls in there. I, no, God, you got. It. I, I I don't believe I, I don't believe that's an issue. I don't think that's Stephon Diggs. I think that's Josh Allen being a young quarterback trying to find his alpha wide receiver in situations mm-hmm. where it's oh 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 Diggs like that that those sorts of plays when you watch the plays where Josh Allen's attempting to force the ball and force feed it to Diggs and double triple coverage. Those are the sorts of plays where he's getting pressured, where he can't find his, his second or third read, or they're not open. So he simply just throws it to the guy that you know you're supposed to throw it to in that situation. I'm not saying throw it to Stephon Diggs and double coverage and force him the ball, but it's simply an undisciplined football played by Josh Allen. I don't believe it's a matter of Stephon Diggs getting in his ear saying, throw me the ball, feed me the ball, et cetera, et cetera, because – all the things leading up to this game and every single game, I mean, you see Stephon Diggs happy that the overall, that the offense is overall producing. You have, it hasn't been an issue yet for this bills team. So I don't believe that's, that's the case for why Allen is attempting to force the ball to Diggs in situations that he shouldn't be. Well, I, I, I have to agree with Fred. I have seen some force in the dig. I thought that he forced it. Uh, the Titans week, I thought he forced it a lot. And this week, this week, I thought he was forcing a little bit too, as well. Um, I think he's getting a little too comfortable. You know, I, I remember I was talking to Eric Modes and uh, I asked him, um, how did him and Doug Flutie get to be such a great tandem? And he said that they played a pickup basketball game together and Doug seen how high he could jump. And he Doug then then proceeded to tell Eric, well, anytime you get a one-on-one, I'm throwing it. Hell, even time you get a double team, I'm throwing it. And it almost seems like Allen is getting that type of uh, rapport with Diggs. But we don't want to see that happen. We have too many weapons on this team. But also, this offense looks totally different without John Brown in the middle of it. Oh, yes. Definitely. Um, nothing against Cole Beasley. Love what Cole Beasley brings to the game. But Cole Beasley does not spread the field like John Brown does. Nope. And so, either Gabriel Davis. The same with Gabriel Davis. I mean, he's a rookie. He's going to make mistakes. But, I mean, he had a lot of positive plays to do today as well. And and a lot of it was in the couple times that we ran the ball where he was out there sealing the edge too. So, I mean, but he's not that guy that's going to take the top off the defense for you like John Brown can. But definitely, you, you hit it right on the head that offense totally different without John Brown in there. I, I feel like you have a far less efficient passing attack. <clears throat> I mean, Cole Beasley, he had the mismatch today. They found him and got him involved fairly often. Like you see on your screen, 11 receptions on what I believe was 12 targets, averaging 10.2 yards per catch. And, you know, that's a solid day for the Bills slot receiver, and he definitely played that role fairly well today in in the absence of John Brown. But we saw at the one game John Brown missed, I believe it was the, the Titans, we, we saw it. We see how this Bills passing offense just isn't the same without John Brown on the field, without having that really good number two wide receiver opposite Stephon Diggs, because that's how you, you find the mismatches with the defense. It's really difficult. It's one thing to have one shutdown corner on the number one wide receiver that is Stephon Diggs. And, you know, you're, you're drawing the double teams with Stephon Diggs. But your mismatch is really when you have that potent number two. Your mismatch is really when you have that wide receiver that could take the top off of a defense and also be a very good wide receiver in the intermediate game like we saw all of last season with, with John Brown. But 
with Gabe Davis Davis stepping in his role, you really don't he's not ready for that role just yet. He just isn't. He's a rookie wide receiver and he's very he's very effective in his role that is the number 4 wide receiver, but in the absence of John Brown, this offense it takes on a different look in the passing game. And I don't believe I I believe that they didn't they didn't necessarily take bite the bullet today like they did against the Titans in that matter and that in, in that facet, but it is a problem for me when John Brown isn't on the field because this, this offense simply isn't the same. You know, if they can get the running game going, and they should be able to get the running game going because you have an, a, you have an elite passing attack if you're playing eight in the box. I didn't see the Jets. The Jets didn't play eight in the box this game like they did last game. No. Okay, they didn't try that crap again. Last night they did hit through for almost 400 yards. So they weren't doing that. If you get the running game going, you're going to open up everything. You're going to be able to control a ball game completely. But until you do that and you commit to the run, and I remember saying this before the season. I mean, I think it was one of the, one of the shows before, before week one. I love the fact that we gave Brian Dable Stephon Diggs. I love the fact that we gave Josh Allen Stephon Diggs. I love the fact that we added Gabe Davis. But the question that I asked repeatedly was, is this guy going to refuse just to run the football? <laughs> and here we are. We're refusing to run the football pretty much three weeks in a row here. This three-week span looks exactly like the three-week span last year of Cleveland, Philly, and Baltimore. Those yep. three games. It looks exactly like those three games. And here we are throwing the ball 40 times. Now, mind you, this was a 10 to nothing game, 10 to 3 game for the most part, then 10 to 6 and 10 to 9. There's absolutely no reason to throw the ball. 40 times in a close game like that. No, you're absolutely right. And we've been saying, I mean, uh, where is this running game? I don't get it. You have two stud running backs and they carry the ball 15 times between the two of them. That's not going to get it done come wintertime. I mean, when December, you're not going to be able to. And to be honest with you, I'm watching the games and it popped up on the screen. And Josh Allen, 300 yards. I'm like, how the heck did he get 300 yards in this game? You know what I mean? We didn't score a touchdown. But if the fact is that you're throwing a ball for 40 yard, forty times, you're going to get 300 yards. But we got to start running the ball. We really do because it's going to take the pressure off Josh Allen. You get these two running backs going. I mean, th this is going to be a great tandem to watch for the next couple of years. But you got to get them going. I don't know what Dable's problem is running the ball. I don't get it. Personally, well, I don't, I don't, but not to cut you off, sorry. I don't think Zach Moss, the way he plays, I don't think he's going to last a couple of years. I think you better be looking for a, a replacement half for it by next year. If you, if you, if you I got TJ Yeldon. <laughs> I'm done, I'm done talking about TJ Yeldon. <laughs> well, I, it really goes back to what I said at the start, at the start of the show is think about it. Josh Allen is one of the best, if not the best, quarterback passing off of play action. And I have yet to see this season a single time where it has been a part of the game plan to establish the rushing attack so that you open up play action. You open up the door for deep shots and, and play action shots for this offense to try and get chunk plays when defenses are expecting you to run the ball. And it's not like you don't have two solid young running backs. Zach Moss looked like an animal today, and I agree with Jeremy. You're going to be looking for another running back fairly soon if he keeps trying to body guys the way he is every single carry. <laughs> And Devin Singletary, you know, he has the elusiveness. He has the agility. There's simply no excuse for them to not be running the ball 20 times a game or at least with some sort of rhythm, with some sort of plan, because it really is just like it seems like Brian Dable runs stuff until it doesn't work. It's just 
well, we'll run it, we'll run it, we'll run it, we'll run it. And then it's just like, oh, well, it didn't work. And well, next thing you know, McKenzie's tackled behind the line for an 11 yard loss. It just, it's extremely frustrating to me, given the fact that this offense, it really could be built around a solid running game. I'm not saying Josh Allen isn't capable of taking every single game, putting it on his shoulders and throwing it downfield for the win. I mean, it's, he can't, it's fairly evident that he can't. But that's not necessarily the easiest way to victory. That's not necessarily the best utilization of the skill players that you have on offense because it's not like the Bills don't have running backs. It's not like they have three, four guys back there and you have a running back room by committee. You have two solid guys who can carry a workload for an offense that you simply just have chosen to not use. Oh, uh uh-oh. Well, Jeremy got kicked out of here, Fred. So, Uh uh-oh, he lagged out. But with that – what what do you think? Do, do you well, think they need to keep running the ball? Do you think that it's just crucial for them to get this rushing attack under wraps before you start getting into playoff football season, before you start getting into cold weather season, where you're not you're just simply not going to be able to throw the ball over the yard 40 times a game and expect to win? Well, here's my thing is how predictable were we today when we tried those screen plays? The whole Jets defense was sitting there waiting for us. That's why Winners got that penalty for going down the field because he was looking for the screen play and it got – Right, play action right. pass, and when we try to play action pass for for five yards, a defense not going to bite on a play action if you're not running the ball. We're being too predictable, and defenses they're going to start picking up on that. No, I you know I I agree. I mean, we'll we'll see what Brian Dable does. Like I said, it, it's no excuses. You have every type of offensive piece you can think of, and you even got a solid right tackle in Darrell Williams now. Mm-hmm. Um, where you don't have to rotate. I don't I don't believe it's the guards and not blocking out today. I do believe I I Bodiger, Bodiger didn't block. I saw that. Uh, uh, I, let's just call him Butker, because that let's just call him <laughs> I think like he, he's pretty bad. He's pretty bad. But even so, we're not attempting to run the ball. When you see good football teams, the championship football teams, no matter what happens. They consistently still try to run the football to keep the defense honest. We cannot continue to come out here and throw the ball 40 times a game. At some point, it's going to come back and bite us. It's, it's, we're, we're not the Chiefs. No. No. I mean, we have the horses to, to keep up, but at the same time, you've got to take some clock. You don't want to keep putting your defense out there either. Like we said before, I think JT was the one that said it. we got to start getting these drives that are seven, eight minutes long to keep our defense re- uh, fresh. So when they come back on the field, you know what I mean? Running the ball is the only way you can do that. So, you I mean, you should be running the ball now to get prepared to take the clock. And to, to win games by taking the clock and taking these high points. I mean, we got Seattle. You know, these guys, they can put up. We got to start taking the ball away from them. That's why we got to continue running the ball and getting these long, sustained drives. Well, I, in terms of how the interior offensive line play today, I the one player that I know, like you, you guys touched on it, winners and Bacher obviously did not play well today. But Mitch Morris. <sighs> Another time we've seen Quinnen Williams just get the better of Mitch Morris on a fair and on a very, very consistent basis. And that it seems like we're talking about this after every single matchup where we've seen these, I believe what they played each other four times now. And it seems like that's always been the case is Quinnen Williams having his way with the highest paid center in the league and make no mistake about it. Quinton Williams is a talented football player. He's a really good football player, but you can't be playing like that against 
uh, if you hope to win. You can't be playing like that along the interior. If you're if you're the cornerstone of the Bills' offensive line, that's just not winning football. You're not going to win in the trenches if you're going to have the interior of the offensive line playing like they have the last three weeks. Quinnen Williams is a beast, though. I mean, that's why he's a third round draft pick. I mean, he was all over the place today. The, the third yeah. draft pick, third draft third pick. pick. I'm sorry, yeah, third yeah. And time. I mean, he, he is a beast, man. He's young. He just has that high motor. That's what we need on the other side of our for our our, our defense. We need that motor. We need that that type of guy. Right. So another guy I want to talk about is obviously you know we seen fans just pretty much cursing out Tyler Bass today, just cursing him out. Me, I'm not worried about Tyler Bass. I, I listen. I know people say he can miss these kicks in the playoff. Blah 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 blah. Well, I saw Stefan Stefan Gaskowski yep. miss a game winning kick today. Okay. Short I've seen a lot too. of people miss kicks, <laughs> but this kicks, this kicks leg talent is tremendous. Okay, this is something that's going to have to be developed. He's a little bit raw. He's coming. He's not. I'm pretty sure he didn't have the best coaching at Georgia Southern. He's not from LSU or Texas or a huge program. But he kicked a 53 yard field goal today, and honestly, it was nice to see a 53-yard field goal or 50-plus-yard field goal in Buffalo. We haven't seen it in a couple of years since Houska's first year here in Buffalo. He's he's going to get better. you got to give him time. I had Leroy dig up some numbers, okay? Ste- Sebastian Janikowski is a prime example. First-round pick as a kicker, if we remember that. 22, yep, 22 or 32 his first year. Adam Vinatieri, I think, was only 76% his rookie year. You got to give him time. Let him develop, for Christ's sake. Yes, he's going to miss some. Yeah, definitely he's going to miss some. He probably is going to miss some more this year. And maybe at an important time. But you have to give him time. The kid's going to be good. Trust me. You want to know an example is, I mean, I'm not changing the subject. This is a kicker. It's a Borquez. I mean, we, we brought in two veterans last year, and we, we let them go and kept him. And everyone's like, why do we have this punter? I think he's a second overall right now in the league for punting, right? He's got the second longest kick. Right. Four quiz. No, one, no one's saying nothing about him. No one's complaining. You got to give well, these young guys – you got to give them time, like JT's saying. Well – well, Borquez needs to stop uh, spinning the laces the wrong way because right. on, two of, on, two of, on two of Bass's kicks that he missed <laughs> this year, the laces were facing him. Yep. Ace Ventura, laces out. What <laughs> you got, Clayton? <laughs> laces out, Dan. Laces out. But, yeah, with, with Tyler Bass, I it's confusing to me. Like, if it's any game, we're going to hammer this kid to death about missing field goals. Why is it today when he was – literally all the offensive production in terms of points when if he doesn't make the six of the kick the six kicks that he did they lose i understand well we pay him to make field goals he's a rookie kicker he's a rookie kicker and i i'm as guilty as anybody maybe not crucifying him about missing kicks i like to make jokes about it but tyler bass he's a solid kicker he has a solid leg and like you said, Jeremy, you have to let him develop. What, what, what do we think? Development's only for the, the, the guys that aren't kickers, punters, and whatnot? Do, do we think that special teams players do not have to learn and develop their skill sets at the position? You look at his leg talent. That kick from 53 today would have been good from 65. Yeah. This kid has a huge, huge leg. And when he can dial it in, when he learns how to use his kicking talent, when he learns how to use his skill set and kind of t- you know learn the finesse of the position, if you will, I think that's when you're going to start to see the Bills have a very solid kicking unit with Tyler Bass at the helm. The last thing I would hate to see this team do is 
replace this kid with some kid with some veteran like a Dan Carpenter who we had before, who's gonna eventually hit the curb. Like I said, and I, I you know every time this kid misses a kick, you know someone has a little joke where they post a picture of Stephen Hauschka. So Hauschka doesn't have a job. He has plenty of time for Fortnite right now. And I don't know if he plays Fortnite, but if he does, he has plenty of time to learn because he doesn't have a job and he probably not getting one this year. And he got injured. Okay. That leg talent is insane. I would the last thing I would hate to see is we jump the gun, cut this kid, let him get in somebody else's camp, develop his leg, and 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 learn how to take a little bit off the power on certain kicks to get more consistent and then kicking kicks. In great weather or domes or bad weather for the next ten years somewhere else, I would hate to see that. And right now he's not, he's not costing you a game, you know. He's not. It's not like he's costing you a game where he's kicking and missing and it costs a game. That's not the case. So until that happens, let the kid develop. Um, look back to former Bills kicker, former Bills fifth. I, I believe he was a fifth round draft pick, Dustin Hopkins. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, Dustin Hopkins. He did not make this team initially. Not because of his skill set. Not because he didn't beat out the kick, the, the, the kicker he was facing in camp. I forget who's who's the kicker in twenty. Wasn't it wasn't it Carpenter? I believe it was Carpenter. Yeah, I believe that's Carpenter when they brought strong. in Carpenter. So they, he didn't win that position purely out of the fact that he was hurt. And when he went to Washington, when he started kicking field goals for the Washington team, he wasn't fair, all that consistent. He didn't have much in-game experience. But you, they gave him time. They allowed him to develop, and now he is a consistent quality kicker in the NFL kicking is not a job. None of these jobs in the NFL are guys walking into the league and flat out dominating, especially ones at kicker. That's not, that's just not going to happen. The atmosphere or which you play in college is not comparable to the NFL. I know you can't really apply that this season, given the, the, the no crowds, but the atmosphere isn't the same. The players you're playing aren't the same. The pressure isn't the same. It's a completely different. It's a completely different realm of football. Moving from amateur football to professional football, and that's applicable in every position. And kicker is no exception to that. So, we have to allow Tyler Bass to develop. If you give him time, six of eight, he made six out of eight field goals today. I'll take that. I will. I don't. I don't care that he missed a chip shot. I don't care that he hooked that first kick all the way to the left. Because after that, I watched him make every single kick that he attempted from the left hash. I. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because it, it, it's been widely known that he has just struggled from kicking from hash marks. And to see him rebound today after hooking that 53-yard field goal, because that, that's a conversation that I had today, was kickers can get in their heads fairly easily. Let, let's not forget that Cairo Santos missed one kick against the Bills when they visited the Titans last year, and then he went on to miss three more, and the Bills won by only seven points. He missed all of those kicks. That guy got in his head, and he lost his job the next day because he got in his head, and he did. He was not a resilient football player, and he couldn't come out there and make the kick, the ensuing kicks after missing that first one. So let's not let's not harp on Tyler Bass because the fact that he showed the football trait of being a resilient football player today is more important to me than missing those two field goals. Right, exactly. I mean, he missed the first one. He could have sucked and missed the next six ones, but he didn't. He, he sucked it up. He came back, and he ultimately he won this game for the Bills. Whether you look at it, the stats and everything, this kid is the one that scored all the points for us. We won the game because of Tyler Bass. Whether he missed one or two, it doesn't matter. He won the game for the Bills. We're 5-2 and two because of Tyler Bass. We shouldn't be putting the kid down. We should be patting him on his back and thanking him for showing up. I remember uh... – 
there was a game back. I I don't know if it was early two thousands or uh, I think it was early two thousands when Vinatieri was with the Patriots. Maybe maybe the late nineties. I don't know. I'm getting old. And I believe he missed three field goals against the Bills. He was a young kicker, young Adam Vinatieri, and the Bills ended up winning that game. But very much similar to the Cairo Santos miss from the Titans game last year. And we can go on to say that Vinatieri could be possibly the best kicker in the history of NFL. Uh, if not one of the most clutch kickers in the NFL, definitely won a couple of Super Bowls for sure with his leg. Why can't that be Tyler Bass? Yeah. <clears throat> Why? Because because I mean I, I I all these fans that are complaining about oh he's missing kicks. Well, those fifty one yarders, those fifty two yarders, those fifty three yarders, that fifty what five that we attempted last week, those are kicks last year that we we didn't even try out Hauschka. We were going for it on fourth and five. We were going for it on fourth and five on a 40-yarder. Yeah, so so once again, miss me with that. So if you're clamoring for Hauschka every time this kid missed a kick, well, half those kicks Hauschka wouldn't even attempt in last year. Well, let's not forget he missed a 29-yarder short again for, for the Jaguars this year. Like, And he, he lost his job. And he lost his job after that game. Like, right. So, well, other than that, I mean, I guess, you know, Another thing I want to talk about before this show's over, you know, because we, we we already way over our time, but that's okay. People still watching, so we talk. It's not as late tonight. <laughs> Andre Roberts, all right? I've been arguing all week about Andre Roberts, and f- for the life of me, I don't understand why people want to get rid of Andre Roberts. I, it, it, it's blasphemy to me that we want to get rid of Andre Roberts. He's second in the league in part return yards. He's, he's, flip, he's flipped the field in what, the Raiders game? Important return. He flipped the field. Was it the Rams game we had another important return? Jets game, he flipped the field, and then the Jets again today. And for some reason, every week, we don't need to keep a roster spot for Andre Roberts. What are you talking about? You know, if you don't want to have a receiver, I get it. I'm, I'm with you. And I've been saying for the last year, we need to carry seven receivers on a game day roster. But all this dude does is flip the field at key moments for us to go down and score in key games. But for some reason... I had one guy tell me we need to trade for John Ross, who ain't even returned one kick in the NFL, but he returned for, but he returned four at the University of Washington. Oh, great! That's why his fifth-year option to get picked up. What are we talking about? What are we doing? Well, let, let's not be so quick to forget what the Bills' return situation was before Andre Roberts got here. Like, the, dude, are, are we so quick to forget that the kill that, that the Bills' punt return unit consisted of sending out Micah Hyde so he can wave it and, and catch a, <laughs> catch the ball? because we were worried about Isaiah McKenzie dropping it. Are we so quick to forget that that's really what the Bills kick return unit consisted of? Was Isaiah McKenzie just kneeling it down in the end zone or us crossing our fingers he doesn't fumble when he takes it out? Like, Andre Roberts changes this special team soon. I understand he had a rough game against the Titans. I understand that he should be left out of the offense. I agree with those points. But you have a spot on your roster for Andre Roberts because, like Jeremy mentioned, he flips the field. He's a game-changing player on special teams. That is a third phase of the game where if you can have a game-changing player, you have a roster spot for him. You hold that roster spot over a lot of different players, and the Bills do have a lot of different players that are on this roster specifically for special team contribution. So it's complete, like Jeremy said, it's complete blasphemy. It's asinine today even to have the the conversation that Andre Roberts shouldn't be on this football team because he very well should be. Yeah, he was a lone spark that got us going. I mean, he had a 58-yarder. He was averaging 40 yards. I mean, come on. Why would you want to get rid of this guy? I'm telling you, he's going to be breaking He's going to break one. It's coming. I can feel it. 
this guy, he just has an eye for these holes, and he just runs right through them. He's fearless. I mean, yeah, he did struggle against the Titans, but what Bill player didn't? You can't hold it against him for one game. This guy is a game changer. He's flipping the field, and I would not get rid of him. When we first got him from the Jets, I was so happy because him, he himself had beat the Bills that day that we played him the year before we got him. So I, I wouldn't get rid of him. I don't know why anybody would think that, get rid of this guy. But, hey, mind you, there are people out there that are thinking about saying we should get Andre Roberts. And no I'm way. like, what? Like, if there's one thing that has been really good this year that no one's talked about is the Bills special teams coverage-wise in all phases outside of a few bad kicks by Tyler Bass, which, I mean, there have been horrible kicks across the entire NFL from rookies to 15-year vets. Our special teams unit has been A++. Returning coverage, but Cole Hartman got nothing. We, we I, I haven't seen a good return on us this year. Saran Neal, Taiwan Jones, Tyler Matakevich, Andre Roberts, these guys have had a hell of a year on coverage and special teams. And he far well deserves a whole hell of a lot of credit for what he's done, especially with limited preparation with preseason. No preseason yep. camp. Right, really, the only return to my recollection was the one against the Titans. But that—that's that, it. That's it. You're seven games into the season, and one team has only had a halfway decent return on your on your unit. This unit's playing out of its mind. Aside from Tyler Baz with his growing pains, Corey Bohorquez has had an incredible year on a, on a limited basis. They haven't really had to punt a whole lot, so that's great. Nope. He didn't have to punt today, to, if I remember correctly. He hadn't. Had, he didn't have to punt today, but he's second in the league in averages per punt. So that guy, that that, that guy has an excellent like. Tyler Bass has an excellent, like, I really like what the Bills special team unit has shaped up to be. And if they can continue to win, if they can continue to play this way, the Bills do have a solid complementary football team in that facet. And this is a, this is a position uh, that got turned around because two years ago, I think we were the worst in the league. And that was something new for the Bills because normally we're always up in the top in special teams. But two years ago it was the worst. They changed that. And now we are, we're back where we were before. So you can't write off the special teams. I mean, they're doing a heck of a job this year. And Andre Roberts is one of them too. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go back and look at some great special team returns, go look at a guy from, the, um, I think, late, 2000, late 90s or early 2000 named Chris Watson. You want to see some good returners? Go see Chris Watson from the Bills, and then you come talk to me about Andre Roberts. Chris Watson was the worst return man in the history of Buffalo Bills football I think I've ever seen. Police, we got him from the Denver Broncos in a midseason trade once. Dude took his first return, was a really good one, and the rest were just awful. I mean, I'm talking about three yards return. So, like I said, Andre Roberts has flipped the field in key times three, at least three times this year yep. when, when we really needed it bad for a spark. So, once again... We just might start having to miss me with that segment because you can miss me with that too. Yes, Roscoe Parrish, Mike Trotter was very, very good. And uh, Lone Wolf asked, how long did Robert, how Robert sign for? I think it's under this year. I think it's on a one-year one year deal. His, con his contract ends this I year. I thought it was two years, right? Yeah. No, well, no, it was two years initially, but they called him to save money at the, set, at the right. end of preseason. Well, no, no, they, well, do, well, actually, no, they didn't save any money by cutting him. They gave him his money back. Remember, they, they cut him to put somebody on IR. Oh, I think it was, it was yeah, either Fleeciano or, or, Hod or Hodges on IR, then they signed him back. <clears throat> they gave him the rest of his money because I know they. Yeah, they signed him like the next day. Yeah, they said they were actually fearful of losing him to another team, and they, but he was like, "I'm coming back." He was good. He was cool with it. Now, and now, once again, that's a guy who really didn't get cut. It's like, oh yeah, I'll sign back the next day, you know, for the team. So, 
Andre Roberts, I think he's doing a great job at return, man. Um, I'm not, I am not for this John Ross crap that I'm hearing anything else. I mean, you guys can take that somewhere else. Um, let's see, we got some questions here. Let, let's ask us some questions here tonight, guys. Put your questions in the chat. We got about another five to probably seven minutes here. Let's get let's get some real oh. good conversations going here. Josh Allen is Kevin Tucker says Josh Allen is nothing but a few games without John Brown. He is nothing completing one and two one and two yard passes, still inaccurate as hell. Can't score six points for goals against the Jets. Well, he, he completed sixty nine percent of his passes today, so miss me with the inaccurate as hell. He, he's not inaccurate. I'm not hearing it. Well, I mean, some of those he has to hit, but I thought he was pretty accurate today. But like I said, this offense is different without John Brown. The separation is a lot different. Um, and John, Josh Allen was actually thirty of forty three today, so I don't know if he's missing that many. Nah, nah, I don't know what he missed, but hey. <laughs> Um, let's see. Joe Source says, with me playing special teams like Cody Kicking, we win the division and more. All right, sign sign him up. Sign him up. <laughs> sign him up. Uh Tebow 1997 says, What did you think about Dane Jackson? You know, I thought Dane played particularly well today. I you know, I I was happy to see I, I want to see some of these other younger corners out there because like I said, I've kind of lost a little bit of faith in um Teron Johnson, I'm not gonna lie, in coverage. So I really want to see Cam Lewis last week, and I want to see Dane Jackson this week. I thought Dane played well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I mean, I'll tell you the way our corners have been going down and not playing. I was kind of concerned about the depth that we had, but seeing Dane play today, like you said, he played well, and he gave us some hope that we have some depth at the corner position. Yeah, I, I liked how Dane Jackson played today. I thought he was solid. I thought that he stepped into that role and he played a damn good football game. Really. I was disappointed to not see Cam Lewis today. I think that was they were erring on the side of caution with limiting his his uh, his snap count. I think he was really a an emergency valve if they needed another corner out there for Cam Lewis today. I I really want to see Dane Jackson get an opportunity in the slot. I really do because, like you said, Jeremy, Teron Johnson ate in in the slot this year. He really has not played well. That one third and twenty that the Jets had converted, where uh, where Darnold just fitted into the window with with, with uh, Braxton Berrios along the sideline. That, that was Teron Johnson's zone. And it just – even in a game where the Bills' defense did kind of play well today, you saw Teron Johnson giving up plays. He did make one play along the sideline, I will I will say that, but he, the consistency just hasn't been there for Teron Johnson this year. If At you're least gonna, he's healthy this year. If you're going to use him like a like a Pittsburgh uses Mike Hilton and put him in there to blitz and things like yeah. that and run tack, I'm all for it. But passing mm-hmm. downs – I'd rather go with these other these other, other guys here. Let's let's not forget that's what his role was his rookie year. Right. Jacob Andrew has, has a good has a good point. Is it safe to say next week versus the Pats could be a division clinching game? I know it's early, but we would bury them. You know what? I think he has a point because I mean that would be our fourth win in the division. Well, when you look at it, I you know, the Jets are the Jets are done. Yeah. The Dolphins are gonna take us the Dolphins are probably gonna purposely take a step back. And, you know, not try to push to be a playoff team by putting two in right now. So I can't see the Dolphins being more than seven and nine as he adjusts to the NFL. So, you know, Jacob, Jacob was right because if you win that Patriot game next week, the way they look at this current time, you probably, their their season's done. You're demoralizing them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because they lost today against the 49ers. Like that was that was a very ugly loss against the 49ers today. They had their way with them. And they I believe they dropped to what would it be? Two, two, two and, and six? Two, two and five. Two and six, right? Two, two and five and or two and six? Two and, two, and, two and five they would drop to next week if they lose. Right. Okay, yeah. so they would drop to two and five. 
and however many games behind, back behind Buffalo as they have a four nothing lead, a four nothing record against divisional opponents. Yeah, that next week's game very very well could clinch the the AFCs for the Bills. I think going forward. Uh, yeah, that's incredible season. to think about. That they haven't won an AFC title in my existence. No, they got somebody. They got some of mine. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's see. Jeremy Brown asks, "Who do you think is a tra- trade target for Buffalo? Needs to look at. I like nose tackle Thomason from the Giants. I think we answered this earlier, but we'll answer it again. For me, it's uh, it's Sheldon Rankins or maybe like a signing or Marcel Darius for better or minimal. That that would be my targets. I don't think anything else is really really needed because, like I said, you don't know what the cap space is going to be next year for some of these rental players. As far as my take goes, yeah, Thomason probably not leaving the Giants anyway, so." <clears throat> yeah, yeah, I agree. I agree with you, Jeremy. That it's either going to be Rankins or Darius, in my opinion. I'd like to see Rankins or Darius. Either or, I'd be happy with at this point. <laughs> right. Uh, Jason Tao asked, and I hope I got your name right. Would Kyle Rudolph be an option at the deadline? Me personally, I don't see it. But I'll let you go first, Clinton, because while you're going, I'm gonna I'm gonna see what his cap hit is to see uh yeah that that that's going to be a part of it is i i believe he did get a new contract if not last year the year before so i'm last not sure year. what it's yeah okay so last year he got a brand new contract and i just i don't want to see it happen to dawson knox like that dawson knox hasn't played particularly well we haven't seen him in a couple weeks and now he's he landed himself on the COVID list so i don't think we're, we're not going to see him against against the uh patriots unless he can pass two consecutive tests or excuse me come up negative in two consecutive tests but I'm just not a fan of pushing young talent down the depth chart that has potential when, I mean, not having the tight end breaking games for this Bills offense hasn't really held them back. You know, they do have three very effective wide receivers, and the tight end has contributed when, when necessary. So I'm not really a huge proponent of pushing Dawson Knox down the depth chart and possibly stunning his development, stunning his growth when he, he's getting very valuable reps out there on a weekly basis when he does come back. Like I'm not, I, I don't want to do that. Honestly, if you're going to go that route, if you want to bench Dawson Knox and you're hell bent on doing that, I'd much rather see Tyler Croft out there taking the, the, all the snaps. Yeah, I can't see us uh, tying up the money for Kyle Rudolph when we have young tight ends already on this roster that are capable. I mean, plus the fact that you know, Rudolph, he's not really involved in the Minnesota offense like you think he would be as a tight end. It's it's hit or miss here and there. But like I couldn't see him I'm taking a shot because then we're we going to give up a, a second or a third for this guy. <clears throat> right. Uh let's see. Thomas Burke asked, does Tyler Croft's daughter Grace get a good game get a oh, get yeah. a game ball? I mean, cra- congratulations to Tyler Croft yep. and his uh wife. I think her name is is Alexi Croft. Um on the newborn. Um definitely had a big game and I mean actually it was a blessing in the sky that he had the yeah. because he was not in close contact with Dawson Knox. Uh yeah, so I guess it's death the daughter get a game ball and a nice sizable contract that he's getting paid as well. <laughs> I, I speaking of game balls, who are we giving game balls out to this week? Uh, my my game ball goes to uh, I get my game ball to uh, Tanja Roberts because I just see I you know all the arguing this week you know with people going back and forth. He made another big play and I think he put a a, a foot in some people's mouth. So Mike's going to Andrew Roberts. I think I'm going to have to go with Jerry Hughes. I mean, he stepped up today, became a leader, and made some plays. I was impressed. I, I'm going to have to go with Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley was the heartbeat of this offense in the absence of John yep. Brown. And, you know, th- those 11 receptions for over 100 yards today, those provided to be huge for this Bills offense in order to move the chains and get into those scoring positions so they could convert those field goals later in the game. Okay, that's cool. I mean, I, I think, you know, 
it's a little bit different day, a little bit different day. Uh, then right, we'll take well, we'll take two more questions here, and uh, let's see. Rob, I know Rob Roberson was trying to get in here with question. Let's talk about Josh Allen's stats as a top five quarterback right now. And uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, he he does have top five quarterback stats, and we have five wins to seven games. Those normally go hand in hand. So I mean. Is there going to be some rough games with Josh? Yeah, there's still going to be some games here and there. We'll be like, come on, man, get together. There's still going to be some hero ball moments where I don't like the hero ball. But guess what? That's It's cool. <laughs> it, it, it's just progression. It's just third year. Give him time. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's developing. I mean, he's learning it. And, you know, today I thought he did a, a half a decent job of managing the game, even though we didn't score a touchdown. But, yeah, he's putting up the right numbers right where we're at. I, I like Josh Allen today. I thought he was efficient with the ball in his hands. I didn't I didn't think he lost composure. I think he remained poised. And I like I liked seeing him being willing to run this week because the last couple of weeks we were all kind of speculating if that if his – left shoulder injury is what made him more hesitant to run and scramble from the pocket today. And, and about today you saw him more and more willing to take those running lanes that the defense was giving him. And you know, that, that's part of Josh Allen's game, you know, 360 total yards today without a touchdown. That that's, that's, that's okay to me because the bills did end up winning. It's not like you lost this game because of that. Josh Allen was the heartbeat of this offense. He's the one that makes this offense go up and down the field. That's this team's going to have a good game when Josh Allen has a good game. And they're probably going to have a bad game when Josh Allen has a bad game. And today you saw him have a good game and the bills win coincided. I know you think about it. We win 18 to 10 and it's not like a big deal, but Josh threw for another 300 yards in this game. I mean, even though he didn't throw a, a touchdown, it's still another 300 yards. I mean, we were looking for a three because we didn't have any for how many years in a row, you know? Yeah. I mean, like I said, man, that's why there's three phases of the game. You have an offense, you have a defense, you have a special team. At some point, the offense is going to pick it up. Someday, the special team got to pick it up. Today, the defense was kind of got back in their groove, and hopefully they keep that forward so we can have a balance. But the biggest thing is we got to have balance on offense. If we're gonna if we're gonna be a Super Bowl contender, and I'm not saying we are, but if we are gonna be a Super Bowl contender, you gotta have balance. And until we gain that balance between passing and running the ball on offense, uh, I feel like this team could end up being like the Houston Texans for the last couple of years. Sometimes the defense is kind of spotty. You're coming out there, you throw the ball 40 times. You may win, you may lose, but nothing's yeah. gonna be consistent until you can actually shore up that running game. But, I mean, guys, any final thoughts? And we get ready to get out of here because it's getting late. Fred Kimmer, coming to you first. Hey, you know, keep keep going. Let the guy, let the grind continue. I mean, the Bills, uh, they pulled off a one today. And I, I just think that every time we play the Jets, it's kind of uh, – it's like a coin toss. I mean, you don't know what Greg Williams was – gas down there. So, I thought he was going to be a little aggressive. But, hey, the Bills pulled out the win. Moving on now, we're back in the winning column. Yeah, um, shout out to all of our fans watching this show every single week. You know, it, it, you guys are sticking with us late, and we have decent numbers go here late in the show. You know, you guys are always active with our shows every single week, every single show. We have a lot of shows now. You know, I, I go live on Tuesdays, the Overtime Podcast with Jeff Uvino. Jeremy goes live on Thursdays with Lorenzo. I go live again on Saturday with Mookie and Mario. It, it, you know, it's a lot of fun over here. We built a lot over the last year, and we're doing some incredible things behind the scenes, so be sure to stay to, to, to tune in. 
yeah, definitely got some brand new things coming. Uh, we may have some new people coming on and join the squad. So stay tuned. A lot of big announcements coming up from our Cold Front Report as we continue to grow and try to do things in a more efficient and more business manner, if you want to call it that. So uh, on that, I mean, guys, thanks for watching. The Bills are 5-2. and two. We is so New England's next week. Yes. New England's next week. Okay, now – Unfortunately, I don't think I'm going to be on that show, but we'll have uh, Clayton Garraby hosting next week, and I think he got a couple guests lined up to come on with him and Fred Kill Martin, and hopefully they're talking about a win because we finally need to beat down New England while they're down and kick them while they're down because they kicked us plenty of times. We owe them a couple rip shots. Uh, so <laughs> let's uh, let's hopefully the team comes out uh, strong next week. Offense gets back in rhythm. Let's hope that Brian Dables finds some type of balance and that the defense keeps this aggressive edge that we had today. Well, other than that, guys, we are out of here. Thank all you guys for tuning in. Uh, and, all, and actually comment. And actually, because you guys helped make the show. And uh, Clayton said, yeah. Make sure you're following everything. Make sure you're getting over to the Overtime Podcast page and liking it and following it. Make sure you get to Lorenzo Alexander's new page and following liking it. Make sure you're getting to the Bill's Yak Podcast and follow it on that page. You can follow it. We're all on Spotify. We're all on iTunes. You can follow us. Make sure you're on IG and Twitter. And, you know, just follow us wherever we're at. But wherever you're at, we're at. Go Bill's Mafia. Hey. Once again, great show, great win. Well, not a great win, but it's a win is a win. We'll take it. <laughs> Catch you guys later.